You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome to Wise Guys. These guys know sports here live on the Worldwide Sports Network with your boy Trey Larkins on the Wise Guys Sports Show. Everybody remember, go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore OH. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys. We're screaming, these guys know sports. It's a Tuesday night, Taco Tuesday. So excited for this week. We got the college football opening week one this Saturday. We got Notre Dame, Old State playing in Columbus. I'm excited for that matchup. We got the college football season is upon us. I am so amped up about that. We got the UC Bearcats going to Arkansas to take on the Arkansas Razorbacks on Saturday afternoon. I'm excited for that matchup. UC, they ranked 23rd in the country. Arkansas was ranked 19th. That's a big-time matchup. And again, the, the Notre Dame and O State matchup Saturday night, prime time, going to be a great matchup as well. I'm excited for that. And then NFL Week 1, is on it's less than three weeks three weeks away from us so it's getting closer and closer that big time matchup between the buffalo bills and la rams you know they're gonna have week one kickoff josh allen versus matthew stafford i'm so excited for it i'm excited for it all but everybody remember you can catch the wise guy sports show on tuesdays and thursdays 7 p.m to 8 30 p.m on the worldwide sports network 7 p.m to 8 30 p.m on the Worldwide Sports Network. That's the Wise Guys Sports Show. And don't forget, go and vote for the question of the day and tonight's question of the day. Who wins the AFC East? That's the question of the day tonight on the Wise Guys Sports Show. Go on the Wise Guys Sports page and cast your vote. Who's going to win the AFC East? And before we get into the show, I have to say this. I am so excited that the NFL preseason is officially over. The month of August is the worst month for a sports fan when it comes to the NFL. When it comes to the NFL and your your casual fan that's a fan of the NFL, August is a horrible month because anytime that you get notifications to your phone, you hope and pray that you don't have one of those messages that one of your key players has a season-ending injury. The entire preseason, I was praying I didn't get no Packer notifications to my phone that a key player was injured with a significant injury. So we are through preseason. We are on to September. Week one will be Sunday, September the 11th. I, I'm, I'm excited that we are past the preseason action and on to the games that actually matter. But let's start off in San Francisco as the San Francisco 49ers. They have made a decision to bring back Jimmy G. So Jimmy Garoppolo, he agreed to a restructured one-year contract to remain with the San Francisco 49ers. Sources told ESPN's Adam Schefter the new deal is worth $6.5 million in base salary with performance incentives that could lift his earnings to nearly $16 million in 2022, according to Adam Schefter. The contract also includes a no-trade clause and a no-tag clause, ensuring the veteran passer can hit free agency 
2023. Now, the 49ers, they can still trade Jimmy G at some point in the season, but it's going to be at his discretion. He has to approve of that particular trade. So my initial reaction to the 49ers bringing back Jimmy Garoppolo is it's obvious they don't believe in Trey Lance. And if you're Kyle Shanahan, if you're John Lynch, you have to be able to make these tough decisions. And they brought back Jimmy Garoppolo because they wanted to have some insurance at the quarterback position. But it's proof that they don't believe in Trey Lance. And if I'm Trey Lance, today I am feeling some type of way towards the San Francisco 49ers organization because it's my opportunity to lead this team as the number one quarterback on the team. It's my football team now, and you decide to bring back Jimmy G? So if I'm Trey Lance, I am feeling some type of way because it's showing me that you do not believe in me. And with these decisions, you have to make the tough decisions for better or for worse. When the Green Bay Packers transitioned from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers, the Packers organization, they made a decision that it was going to be Aaron Rodgers' football team. And the fact of the matter is they traded Brett Favre so they can give Aaron Rodgers the confidence that he needed to lead the Packers football team because it was his team at that point moving forward. And John Lynch, the general manager for the 49ers, and Kyle Shanahan, the head coach of the 49ers, they have not given Trey Lance the confidence that he needs to be the number one quarterback on this roster and to lead this team. They showed him by bringing back Jimmy G, they, they're not fully committed to him. They're not fully committed to Trey Lance. If they was fully committed to Trey Lance, they would have either released Jimmy G or they would have tried to find a partner to trade him to, another team. But here's the thing. No one else wanted Jimmy G. His trade value was low. Because most people don't believe in Jimmy G. And I'm going to get to him in a minute. But again, this is clear evidence that the San Francisco 49ers do not believe in Trey Lance. And they have not made a full commitment to Trey Lance being their star quarterback moving forward. He, he, he's not the quarterback of the, of the future. He's the someone that they're trying to see how good he is. And they're hoping that he's good so they can feel good about their draft selection. But at this point, they're not giving Trey Lance the confidence that he's the quarterback of the future moving forward. Now, also for Trey Lance, every time Trey Lance makes a mistake this season, he's going to have to look over his shoulder and wonder if they will put Jimmy G back into the starting lineup. That That's not going to help his confidence. That's not going to help his confidence with Jimmy Garoppolo still being on the roster. He's always going to think during the course of games, if I make a mistake, there's a possibility that I could get benched and not get another chance 
to lead this team to the promised land. This is a lose-lose situation for Trey Lance all the way around. This is like one of those situations where you break up with your ex. You kick them out of your house. You move your new partner into your house, and then you decide to move your ex back in the same house that you originally kicked them out of, and you got them in the same house as your new partner. It's not going to work. You have to prioritize your young quarterback in Trey Lance so he can have the confidence moving forward, progress into being a reliable franchise quarterback. And I think the 49ers organization, they showed Trey Lance that they are not fully committed to Trey Lance. And if Trey Lance has a rough few games, they will not hesitate to insert Jimmy Garoppolo as a starting quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers. Now, when it comes to Jimmy Garoppolo, I know Jimmy G has a great winning percentage as a starting quarterback in the NFL. Jimmy Garoppolo, for his career, he's 33 and 14, so he's won 70% of his games. This is with the likes of Peyton Manning, Joe Montana, Roger Staubach, Lamar Jackson, Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes. This is in the Super Bowl era, best winning percentages as a starting quarterback. Jimmy Garoppolo is on this list. But the reason why the San Francisco 49ers have been true Super Bowl contenders is not because of Jimmy Garoppolo. It's been in spite of Jimmy Garoppolo. This is the same Jimmy Garoppolo that was on the open market and not one team, one team decided to trade for Jimmy G. You would have thought that maybe Pete Carroll and the Seattle Seahawks would have tried to trade for Jimmy Garoppolo to improve their quarterback position. Didn't happen. You would have thought that the Cleveland Browns, knowing that Deshaun Watson is going to be suspended for the first 11 games of the season, would have traded for Jimmy Garoppolo because they have a Super Bowl caliber roster that's ready to win now. But the reason why teams did not trade for Jimmy Garoppolo is because Jimmy G is not very good. I've been saying this for years. Jimmy Garoppolo at this point in his career is a backup quarterback. He's a backup quarterback. And I was on record saying that it would have been a mistake for the Cleveland Browns to trade for Jimmy Garoppolo because you're not going to improve your team significantly with Jimmy G at the helm compared to Jacoby Brissett. You're not going to improve your team significantly. So you might as well hold on to Jacoby Brissett, hold on to those draft picks, and wait till Deshaun Watson comes back. Because Jimmy G ain't it. The 49ers won games in spite of Jimmy Garoppolo, not because of Jimmy Garoppolo. This is the same Jimmy G who has been to multiple NFC Championship games in his career. He also has a Super Bowl appearance on his resume. And in that Super Bowl appearance, for the first three quarters of that game, the 49ers outplayed the Chiefs. Going into that fourth quarter, the 49ers, they led 
the Chiefs, 20 to 10. You got a 10-point lead of the Super Bowl going into the fourth quarter. You have to close that deal. And Jimmy Garoppolo wasn't able to close that deal because Jimmy Garoppolo is not that guy. We have to quit trying to pretend that because he has this outstanding quarterback record, like he's some formidable quarterback. There are multiple quarterbacks that I would take over Jimmy Garoppolo that aren't even elite. I'm just talking about the average quarterbacks. Kirk Cousins is better than Jimmy Garoppolo. Ryan Tannehill is better than Jimmy Garoppolo. Baker Mayfield is better than Jimmy Garoppolo. There are so many quarterbacks that are better than Jimmy G. And I'm not saying Jimmy G doesn't deserve to be in the NFL. But he's not a starter in the NFL. And I think people have gotten confused about how good Jimmy Garoppolo really is because of his great record as a starting quarterback in the NFL. But it's a team game. (laughs) It's a team game. And there have been times where I have watched the 49ers and I would look at that defense led by Fred Warner and Nick Bosa. And I would look at offensively them having one of the best tight ends in the NFL in George Kittle, having great running backs like Raheem Mostard, you know, in the backfield. That, that was running back by committee. They had some nice running backs in that system. I'm not saying they're great players. They're great in that Kyle Shanahan system. And Debo Samuel, I've seen so many different players. And then even their head coach, Kyle Shanahan, who I mentioned before I get to Jimmy Garoppolo. Like, I look at the 49ers, I think about Fred Warner. I think about Nick Bosa. I think about Debo Samuel. I think about George Kittle. I think about Kyle Shanahan, the great head coach slash play caller that he is before I even get to Jimmy Garoppolo. I mentioned earlier about his shortcomings in a Super Bowl a few years ago. Last year, in the NFC Championship game, going into the fourth quarter of that game, the 49ers, they had a 17-7 to lead in that game. And they lost that game 20-17. to Rams outscored the 49ers 13-0 in the fourth quarter. Because Matthew Stafford proved why he is a top 10 quarterback. And Jimmy G proved once again why he's a game manager at best. So, again, I'm not high on Jimmy Garoppolo. And I think this was a bad decision by the 49ers bringing back Jimmy G because it doesn't show a full commitment to Trey Lance. Everybody go follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore OH. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Let me sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram with these guys no sports. Now, I want to talk about Trey Lance and my expectations for Trey Lance this upcoming season. Now that he's going to be the starting quarterback in San Francisco, you know, even though Jimmy Grappolo is going to be backing him up, Trey Lance is going to be the starter week one against the Bears. I believe the 49ers have a Super Bowl caliber roster that's ready to win right now. When I look at the 49ers in the NFC West, I think the only team 
that's better than the 49ers right now are the defending Super Bowl champs. And that's the LA Rams. That's the only team I can say definitively that's better than the 49ers in the NFC West right now. And then you look at the NFC South, Tampa Bay. I would say right now they're slightly better than the 49ers because they have the advantage at quarterback with Tom Brady. So the Buccaneers and Rams are both better than the 49ers right now, but no one else in the NFC South I would consider right now to be better than the 49ers. You go to the NFC North. I think the Packers are the best team in that division, but in the playoffs, the 49ers, they have the Packers number for whatever reason. Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers, they can't beat the San Francisco 49ers in the postseason. They can't beat them in the postseason. So I can't say that the Packers are better than the 49ers right now. Dan Schroeder can't say the Vikings are better than the 49ers right now. Bears and Lions, I'm going to get me started with those two teams. NFC East, I would take the 49ers over all four of those teams in the NFC East. All four of them. 49ers are better than the Cowboys, Eagles, Commanders, and Giants. So I think the 49ers are a top five team in the NFC. And I think if Trey Lance is good, not even great, just good, good like a Kirk Cousins good or like a Ryan Tannehill good, the San Francisco 49ers could win the Super Bowl this year. You still got Debo Samuel, who they signed to a big-time deal. You got George Kittle, got one of the best coaches in the NFL in Kyle Shanahan. You, you got Nick Bosa, Fred Warner defensively. 49ers are a top-five team in the NFC today, even with Trey Lance at quarterback. If Trey Lance is any good, 49ers could be representing the NFC in the Super Bowl this year. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. Call into the show, 513-203-8655. 513-203-8655. Let's transition and let's talk about the Brooklyn Nets as the Brooklyn Nets and Kevin Durant. They have agreed to move forward together. Remember, Kevin Durant requested to be traded on June 30th out of Brooklyn. This is general manager Sean Marks. He said, quote, we have agreed to move forward with our partnership to bring a championship to Brooklyn. That was Brooklyn Nets general manager Sean Marks on the situation right now involving Kevin Durant. Now, when I look at the situation involving Kevin Durant and the Brooklyn Nets, when I heard that Kevin Durant had agreed to move forward with his partnership with the Brooklyn Nets, my initial reaction was, I want to give a round of applause tonight on the show to Brooklyn Nets owner, Joe Tsai. I'm giving a round of applause tonight on Wise Guy Sports, on the Worldwide Sports Network. Joe Tsai is a billionaire. If you don't know who he is, Google him on up. Joe Tsai, Joseph C. Tsai. You spell Tsai, T-S-A-I. And the reason why I want to give Joe Tsai a round of applause tonight on Wise Guys is because he didn't cave in to the pressure and just trade away Kevin Durant 
And he literally told his superstar, no. We have seen in previous years, owners and general managers of teams in the NBA cave in to their superstars. James Harden, he quit his way out of Houston and Brooklyn, showed up the camp in Houston, fat, out of shape. It's clear he wasn't committed to what the Houston Rockets were doing moving forward, which is understandable, but you can at least show up to camp and be in shape. And it didn't happen. Then, a few years ago, Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons, he quit his way out of Philly. I heard he got mental health issues going on. I understand. Mental health is real. We all got issues that we have going on in our lives that we're dealing with. Mental health is a real thing. I don't want to act like mental health is not serious because it's very, very serious. One of the reasons why Adrian Bronner caught off his recent fight that he was supposed to have a few weeks ago. So mental health is a very, very serious matter that you have to deal with. Nevertheless, Ben Simmons quit on the Philadelphia 76ers. And so Kevin Durant, when he asked for his trade request and asked to be traded out of Brooklyn, he demanded that the Brooklyn Nets get him to South Beach or Phoenix. I find it funny how Kevin Durant wanted to go to two warm weather cities. Phoenix and Miami are two warm weather cities that's beautiful. Beautiful. I mean, I, I don't I don't think that they believe or have winners. I, mean, I, I, I Maybe I could be wrong, but I don't. Phoenix and Miami, from my understanding, it's always warm year round. So I find it kind of funny how KB wanted to leave Brooklyn, a cold weather city, and go to two warm weather cities. These are the two teams that he requested to be traded to in the Phoenix Suns and the Miami Heat. And then Kevin Durant, he doubled down on his trade request. He told owner, Josiah, either they go, talking about head coach Steve Nash and general manager Sean Marks, or I go, make a decision. This is a few weeks ago. Josiah went on Twitter after his meeting with Kevin Durant, and he supported his head coach and his general manager, and he said they have the full support of ownership. So Kevin Durant doubled down on his trade request. So Josiah, throughout these last few weeks, let's just call it a month. That's what it's been. These last few weeks, Josiah could have traded away Kevin Durant. He could have just allowed his superstar to get traded away to another contender and get pennies on the dollar for Kevin Durant. But Josiah stood his ground. He told Kevin Durant, you still have four years left on your deal, which means you got zero leverage here. Kevin Durant had no leverage when he requested to be traded June 30th. Zero leverage. Had this been Kevin Durant's final year of his deal, he would have had more leverage because he could have just said, if you don't trade me, I'll leave a free agency the following season, and you won't get anything for me. But because he had four years left on his deal, he had zero leverage. And Josiah held his feet to the fire 
and made Kevin Durant cave in. And now he's going back to Brooklyn. And now they're going to continue their partnership together and their quest to bring a championship back to Brooklyn. So I can't say enough about the job that Joe Sy did here. And, you know, for the NBA, this, this, this was a win for the NBA. Because there are a lot of people, fans that I talk to of the NBA, they're getting tired of the NBA because they, they see the stars have so much of an impact and they're not honoring contracts that they sign. You know, they're, they're, whenever they're ready to leave a particular team, they always get their way. And there are people who are fans of the NBA who are getting tired of superstars having so much leverage. It was something that they were going to talk about in the new CBA. Because if you sign a contract, you're supposed to honor that contract. And so this was another situation where Kevin Durant pissed off because he recently seen the Golden State Warriors win another championship. And let's just be clear. It's not fun when you see your ex moving on and they living a better life without you than they were with you. It's no fun seeing that. So I understand what Kevin, why he was frustrated. I get it. I get it, KD. I get, because it's, it's awfully funny how Golden State won the, the finals in June. Kevin Durant requested to be traded a few weeks after the Golden State Warriors won their fourth championship in eight years. This is not a coincidence. He was upset. He seen that the Golden State Warriors were still flourishing without him. They were still successful and they were still able to win championships without him. So I get it. I understand. But I give the Nets owner Josiah a ton of credit here. But I think the biggest thing here was too, I think one of the main reasons why, like I, I think KD was upset about seeing the Warriors win a championship. In that same Warriors team that swept Kevin Durant and the Brooklyn Nets, the Warriors beat in six. Kevin Durant was a little sorry about that. But another reason why Kevin Durant requested to be traded out of Brooklyn is because the Brooklyn Nets organization, they didn't give Kyrie Irving a max contract extension. Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are friends. See, I've, I've been listening to the media over the last few weeks talk about how Oh, Kevin Durant is tired of Kyrie Irving. Oh, Kevin Durant doesn't want to play with Kyrie Irving anymore. I didn't buy any of that. I think Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant have been on the same page the entire summer. I think a part of the reason why Kevin Durant wanted to be traded out of Brooklyn is because Brooklyn did not give Kyrie Irving a max contract extension. Now, I understand why they didn't give him a max contract extension because Kyrie Irving has to be available. And best ability is availability. Now, last year, I understand why Kyrie Irving didn't play last year in all of the games. I didn't like the vaccine mandate. I thought it was crazy because I, I didn't like the fact that in the state of New York, they allow visitors from the opposing team who are unvaccinated. They're allowed to play in the Barclays Center. But members of the Brooklyn Nets who are unvaccinated can't play. Makes zero sense. Understand why everyone feels like Kyrie Irving is never available. And I do agree your best ability is availability. But I understood why Kyrie Irving decided not to get vaccinated last year. And I wasn't mad at him last year. I didn't, I didn't, now years previous, I said, man, Kyrie, you tripping. You, you, you tripping. You, you got to play. 
You got to show up. You can pay millions of dollars to play basketball. You got to show up night in and night out so these organizations can trust that you're going to show up. That was one of the main reasons why MJ, Kobe, God rest his soul, and LeBron are universally recognized as top five players in NBA history. Not only were they great on the floor, they were box office because they showed up every single night to play. So I understood why the Brooklyn Nets organization was reluctant to give Kyrie Irving a max contract extension. And that's what pissed Kevin Durant off as well. Because I think Kevin Durant's thinking, if I don't got Kyrie, I have no chance in hell at being able to win a championship in Brooklyn. It's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen with Ben Simmons, Royce O'Neal, Patty Mills, and Joe Harris. you got to have a dynamic player like Kyrie Irving to win a championship with. Now, when it comes to my expectations for the Brooklyn Nets next season, the Brooklyn Nets will be a top three team in the Eastern Conference next year. You got Kevin Durant. You got Kyrie Irving. I'm expecting Ben Simmons to come back at some point next season and contribute. They signed Royce O'Neal in free agency. They brought in TJ Warren as well. You still got Joe Harris, who can still shoot the lights out. You still got Patty Mills, who is also a deadly shooter as well. I think the Brooklyn Nets next year will be a top three seed in the Eastern Conference. The only two teams I could see being better next year than the Brooklyn Nets are the Boston Celtics and the Milwaukee Bucks. I think that the Brooklyn Nets are better than the Philadelphia 76ers. I think they are better than the Chicago Bulls. They are better than the Atlanta Hawks. I would say that they're a, they are a top three seed next year in the Eastern Conference. And I think it's going to come down to the Celtics, Nets, and Bucks on who's going to be representing the East in the NBA Finals next year. Because I think Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant are that dynamic of a duo that can win a championship. When you talk about best duos in the NBA, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, James Harden, Joel Embiid, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, when they are engaged and they're focused, they're a top three duo in the NBA. Make no mistake about it. Top three duo in the NBA. If you disagree, call them to the show because later on tonight, I'm going to be talking about NBA. Eastern Conference best duos. Call into the show 513-203-8655. 513-203-8655 is the number to dial. Do you believe Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant is a top five or top three duo in the NBA? I believe they are. So I believe the Nets will be NBA championship contenders next season. Everybody go follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at these guys. No sports. Now, let's get to my question of the day, the poll question of the day. Who wins the AFC East? And here are the results. 67% believes the Buffalo Bills will win the AFC East. Patriots, 0%. Dolphins, 33%. Jets, 0%. So Buffalo Bills get majority of the votes. So most people believe they are the favorites in the AFC East. Now, last year in the AFC East, 
The Bills won the division. They finished 11 and 6 on the season. The Patriots, they finished 10 and 7. The Dolphins finished 9 and 8. And the Jets finished 4 and 13. And this is Vegas odds for who's going to win the AFC East. You got the Buffalo Bills. They are a minus 215. The Patriots, they are a plus 450. The Dolphins, plus 450. The Jets are a plus 2,000 to win the AFC East. So, in this division, the Buffalo Bills are the class of the AFC East. For many, many years, the New England Patriots, they were the class of the AFC East. They had Tom Brady, GOAT, leading them at quarterback. And they also were led by the greatest coach in NFL history in Bill Belichick. So they were the favorites for many, many years in the AFC East. But now, because you got Josh Allen at quarterback for the Buffalo Bills, many people believe that the Buffalo Bills will be the favorites in the AFC East for future seasons to come. And I actually agree. Because when you got a great young quarterback like Josh Allen, you're going to be a Super Bowl contender year in and year out. I mean, last year, Josh Allen, he had 36 touchdowns, 15 interceptions. He had 4,407 pass yards. He completed 63% of his passes. He's a top 10 quarterback in the NFL, arguably top five, depending on who you ask. Josh Allen is great. And last year, the Buffalo Bills, they didn't make it to the AFC Championship game, and they lost in the divisional round of the playoffs, 42-36. to But they didn't lose because of Josh Allen. Josh Allen was sensational last year in the postseason. This is just the playoffs. Josh Allen, nine touchdowns, zero interceptions, 637 passing yards, completing 77% of his passes. The Bills damn sure didn't lose because of Josh Allen. That's one thing we know. I, I saw Josh Allen go throw for throw with Patrick Mahomes at Arrowhead last year. We always talk about quarterbacks and their impact on whether or not a team wins or loses a game. Because I'm a Packers fan and I've watched Aaron Rodgers for so many years in the playoffs carry the Green Bay Packers past where they were supposed to be because there were years where the Packers didn't deserve to be as far as they were in the playoffs. And Aaron Rodgers dragged them through the playoffs to where they were. There were times the Packers should have been a first-round exit. And Aaron Rodgers dragged them to the NFC Championship game. So I'm one of those people that when I watch quarterbacks play at an elite level, even in a loss, I recognized and I see it's not how you go down. It's about how it happens. Like, it's, it's not it's not about this because you're going to lose games, right? You're going to lose games. And you're going to, you know, it's, it's not about whether or not you go down. It's about how you go down. That's what I meant to say. It's about, you, you're going to lose games when you play hard. And I thought last year, Josh Allen was sensational in that playoff game against Patrick Mahomes. He gave the Buffalo Bills defense an opportunity where they only had to keep Patrick Mahomes out of field goal range. And Patrick Mahomes, in 13 seconds, got the Kansas City Chiefs in field goal range. So I thought Josh Allen did everything he could to lead the Buffalo Bills to the AFC Championship game last year. He just came up short. But when I look at this Buffalo Bills team, their running backs are interchangeable with Devin Singletary and James Cook. He's the brother of 
Vikings running back, Dalvin Cook. They got Zach Moss. So Zach Moss, James Cook, Devin Singletary, they're interchangeable. There's, there's no primary back in the Buffalo Bills backfield yet. So they're interchangeable. Now, I do like their receivers. Stephon Diggs, he's a top 10 receiver in the NFL. Last year, he had a great season, 103 receptions, 1,225 receiving yards, 10 touchdowns. So we know Stephon Diggs is a top 10 receiver in the NFL, even dating back to his days when he played in Minnesota. But also, they got Gabriel Davis. And remember last year in the playoff game against the Chiefs, Gabriel Davis had the game of his life. Eight receptions, 201 receiving yards, four touchdowns. You still got Isaiah McKenzie. You still got Dawson Knox at tight end. The Buffalo Bills O-line, it's decent. It's not great. It's not bad. It's average. You got an average offensive line. That's the one question that I have about their offense. It's their O-line. They're average. So, again, I like Stephon Diggs at receiver. Their running backs are interchangeable, but they got Josh Allen. And when you got a top-10 quarterback in the NFL, you're going to be contenders not only in your division, but in your entire conference. Now, defensively, they're going to be bringing back Tredavious White. I saw earlier that he's going to be on the PUP list. So he's going to miss the first four games of the season, but he's going to return back at some point. He's going to be in the secondary for the Buffalo Bills. You still got Jordan Poyer, who's looking for a new contract. You still got Micah Hyde, who I, who I believe in, former Packer. And then their D-line, they should be better. They brought in Von Miller in free agency. You got Ed Oliver, Daquan Jones up front. So their D-line should be better. But this team gave up 42 points in the playoff game last year against the Chiefs. They're going to have to be able to get stops at key times if they want to be true Super Bowl contenders. You could get through the AFC East with a bad defense and a great offense, you can get to the, through the AFC East with that because the AFC East, outside of the Miami Dolphins, the Buffalo Bills, they don't have much competition in the AFC East. When you get to the playoffs, you got to go up against teams like Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens, like Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals, like Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs, Derek Carr and the Raiders, the list goes on and on and on. You're going to need a solid defense to get key stops at key times to win football games. So they can get through the AFC East with a, with a bad defense, but not through the AFC Conference. They'll struggle to get to the Super Bowl. But this defense has to improve. I mean, they got to improve this year. They are led by defensive coordinator Leslie Frazier. Leslie Frazier has a bunch of experience in the NFL. He was a coach in Minnesota at one point in his career. So Leslie Frazier knows his football. He knows his football. But I look at the Buffalo Bills, their first seven games of the season. It's going to be tough for the Buffalo Bills. This is a tough start to the season. They're at Rams. This is the Thursday night kickoff of week one of the NFL season. Then they're home against the Titans. That's on Monday night football. At Miami. At Baltimore. Home against the Steelers. At the Chiefs. And then they got a bye week seven. That's a tough first seven games. The seventh game will, get, be, will be against the Packers in week eight. They got a bye week in week seven. So that's they're at Rams, home against the Titans, at Dolphins, at Ravens, home against the Steelers, at Chiefs, bye week seven, week eight, they're home against the Packers. That's a tough first seven games. That's a tough first seven games. 
if the Buffalo Bills can go four and three, five and two, if you're a Buffalo Bills fan, you're happy with that in the first seven games because that's a tough opening schedule. Tough opening schedule for the Buffalo Bills. This year they play the NFC North and the AFC North. They're over under for their wins this year or 11, 11 and a half. That's what Vegas has it at. I'm going to go over. I think the Buffalo Bills will win 12 or 13 games this year. I can see them finishing 12 and 5 or 13 and 4. So I got them going over 11 and a half. That's what Vegas got their win totals at for the season. Now, when you look at their schedule in the middle of the season, after those first seven games, they got the Vikings, Browns, Lions, Patriots, Jets. I believe they can win all five of those games. Vikings, Browns, Lions, Patriots, Jets. They had the Jets week nine, too. So they got after the Packers game in week eight, they're at the Jets, home against the Vikings, home against the Browns, at Lions, at Patriots, at Jets. They'll beat the Jets both of those games. The Bills are better than the Patriots, so they'll beat the Patriots in New England. And then they'll beat the Lions. I can say with confidence that the Bills in that Six game stretch, they'll go. They'll go five and one. At worst, they might go six and zero. Oh, Cause they, they give me the Bills are better than the Jets. The Bills are better than the Vikings. The Bills are better than the Browns. They're better than the Lions. They're better than the Patriots and Jets. They're better than all of those teams. So as tough as their first seven games are, the middle of their schedule is favorable. It's favorable for the Bills to go on a run and get into the playoffs. So they can go. F- Five and two, four and three in those first seven games. I think their next five games, they'll go five and zero oh, at worst, four and one, and I think they'll they'll be good. Now let's go to the New England Patriots. The New England Patriots, their over under is at eight and a half. I'm going under here for New England Patriots. I got questions about the Patriots offense, and I want to start off with Mac Jones. I am not a believer in Mac Jones. I know Matt Jones made the Pro Bowl last year. And last year, he had some decent numbers. He had 22 touchdowns, 13 interceptions, 3,801 passing yards, completing 68% of his passes. But similar to how I feel about Jimmy Garoppolo, Matt Jones is a game manager. And when you compare him to his competition at the quarterback position that he's going to be facing in the AFC, he just doesn't measure up to these quarterbacks that I'm about to name. Even in his own division. Let's just stay in his own division when we compare Mac Jones to the other quarterbacks. Mac Jones is not better than Josh Allen. He's not better than Tua. He might be better than Zach Wilson, maybe. I want to see what kind of progress Zach Wilson makes in his sophomore season. But you go to the AFC West. Mac Jones isn't better than any of the AFC West quarterbacks. He's not better than Patrick Mahomes, not better than Russell Wilson, not better than Justin Herbert, and he's not better than Derek Carr. AFC North, he's not better than Joe Burrow. He's not better than Lamar Jackson. He's not better than Deshaun Watson. And then you go to the AFC South. He's not better than Matt Ryan or Ryan Tannehill. They're all better than Mac Jones. So when I compare Mac Jones to his competition at the quarterback position and his counterparts, I just don't think that Mac Jones measures up to be good enough to lead the New England Patriots to the postseason. Not to mention, I don't like the New England Patriots skill position players. And they're very highly compensated. But they're not 
very good. You look at their skill position players. You got Kendrick Bourne, Devontae Parker, Jacoby Myers, Nelson Aguilar. This is the highest paid receiving core in the NFL. And none of these receivers that I just named are a true number one receiver. They're not a true number one receiver. Not one. I'm not even sure they got a true number two receiver. Tyquan Thornton, Christian Wilkerson. Who are these dudes? So I got my questions about Mac Jones. I got my questions about their skill position players. And I haven't even gotten to the fact that they no longer have Josh McDaniels as an offensive coordinator. Josh McDaniels, he took the job in Las Vegas. And so now Matt Patricia is the offensive coordinator for the New England Patriots. Earlier in the preseason, Bill Belichick, he didn't know if he wanted Matt Patricia or Joe Judge to call plays for the offense. They were, they were growing, going back and forth to see who's going to be the play caller for the Patriots offense once this regular season begins. Joe Judge and Matt Patricia. And both Joe Judge and Matt Patricia, their strength is not offense. Matt Patricia got the, the Detroit Lions job because of his defensive mindset and him knowing defense. Joe Judge is not an offensive coordinator. That's not his expertise. So I got questions about Mac Jones. I got questions about their skill position players. And I got questions about their offensive coordinators. These guys have never called plays. And offense is not their expertise. And then you look at the New England Patriots first four games. It's brutal. At Miami, at Pittsburgh, home against the Ravens, and they're at Green Bay. I could easily see the Patriots starting off the season one and three. Easily. They can start off the season one and three. Call to the show, 513-203-8655, 513-203-8655. What's your expectations for the New England Patriots this year? I don't have very much high expectations for the Patriots this year. I really, really don't. I like their defense. I think they made a mistake letting J.C. Jackson walk in free agency. But even with a great defense, you got to be able to score points in today's NFL. I watched the playoff game last year between the Patriots and the Bills, and I saw Josh Allen, every time he got the football on every possession, the Buffalo Bills scored a touchdown. Every single possession, they scored a touchdown. And I watched that game, and that's what made me believe that Mac Jones is not good enough. I saw Josh Allen, every single possession, score a touchdown in that game. And Mac Jones just could not keep pace with Josh Allen. He couldn't do it. He could not do it. So what did the Bills score in that game? 47 points. The Bills put a beat down on the New England Patriots. 47 to 17. So again, I like their defense. Bill Belichick, he knows his defense, but I don't think their defense is going to be able to overcome the offensive struggles. I think they're going to struggle offensively. I really, really do. And I got the New England Patriots under eight and a half. And, and it's crazy because Vegas, they have projected the Patriots to only be better than these four teams. The Texans, Jets, Jags, Steelers. Those are the only four teams in the AFC that Vegas expects the Patriots to be better than. And I agree. Texans, Jags, Jets, Steelers. That's it. So, Pat fans, you might want to get ready for a rough roll this season. Now, let's go and talk about the Miami Dolphins. The Miami Dolphins over under 
is eight and a half as well. I am high on this Miami Dolphins team. They brought in Mike McDaniels, who was previously under Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco. So I assume that McDaniels knows what he's doing. And when he took the job in Miami, I love the fact that he gave Tua confidence that he believed in him. Now, I understand why in years prior, when they had Brian Flores as their head coach, who I believe should have never gotten fired in Miami, but that's another conversation for another day. I understand why Brian Flores wanted Deshaun Watson because last few few years, we had reports like every week out of Miami about how the Miami Dolphins are trying to get into the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes. And Brian Flores did not believe in Tua. And I've had my questions about Tua as well. I'll get to him in a minute. But I do love the fact that McDaniels, when he got the job in Miami, one of the first things that he did was he called Tua Tagovailoa and he told him, I think that does wonders for a young quarterback who has, to say it nicely, has struggled the first few years of his career. I love McDaniels for doing that. I really, really do. And you look at last year for Tua, he had 16 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, 2,653 passing yards. He completed only 68% of his passes. I had an issue last year with Tua because there were times where Tua didn't even finish games. He had to bring in Ryan Fitzpatrick to finish games. And if you have to bring in your closer and Ryan Fitzpatrick has to save the day, that means you have an issue at the quarterback position. Ryan Flores didn't believe in Tua. And I can't blame him. I can't blame him. It's not a good sign if I have to bring in another quarterback to close games. You are not a franchise quarterback if that ha- if that happens. But here's the thing. This year is a put-up or shut-up year for Tua. They brought in Tyreek Hill. They still got Jalen Waddle, who had over 1,000 yards receiving last year. They signed Cedric Wilson in free agency. And they still got Mike Jacecki at tight end. They got running backs who are interchangeable in Chase Edmonds and Raheem Mozart and Miles Gaskin. So there are no excuses for Tua this season. No excuses. You got two receivers in Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle who can easily have over 1,000 yards receiving this year. Easily. Both of these two burners in the open field are game changers. There are no excuses for Tua this year. None. In previous years, maybe he could have said he didn't have enough weapons, but you can't say that no more. You got plenty of weapons, Tua. It's a put-up-or-shut-up year for Tua. Now, let's talk about the, the Dolphins' defense. They got a lot of young guys who are going to be older, so they're going to have more experience. And so I think they're going to be better on that side of the ball as well. In their secondary, they got Zadavian Howard, Byron Jones, Brandon Jones. Linebacker, you got Melvin Ingram. Elandon Roberts. So they should be better defensively as well. Now, let's look at their first four games. Home against the Patriots, at Ravens, home against the Bills, at Bengals. That's a tough first four games for the Dolphins. Tough first four games. I could see them going maybe, ooh, they'll beat the Patriots, 
But the Ravens, Bills, Bengals are all games the Dolphins could lose. They could lose all three of those games. But here, the next five games, they're all winnable games for the Dolphins. At Jets, home against the Vikings, home against the Steelers, at Lions, at Bears. They'll beat the Jets, Steelers, Lions, and Bears. They'll beat all four of those teams, and they might beat the Vikings. That's a toss-up. Dolphins, Vikings is a toss-up. That can go either way. Tua versus Kirk Cousins can go either way. But tough first four games, next five games are all winnable games. And in this AFC East, the biggest threat to the Buffalo Bills are the Miami Dolphins. I'm going to give my playoff predictions here in a few weeks, but I think the Miami Dolphins will have more than eight and a half wins. I got them over at eight and a half. Vegas got the over-under for the the Miami Dolphins at eight and a half. I'm going to roll with over. I think they're going to win more than eight and a half games. The last two years, they've been on the cusp of being a playoff team. They're right there. They're right there close to being a playoff team, but I think that they are the biggest threats to the Buffalo Bills in the division. Now, I want to talk about the player in this division that could be an X factor. I think it's Jalen Waddle for the Miami Dolphins because the opposing defenses are going to try to take away Tyreek Hill. And you got to pick your poison with this Miami Dolphins team. You got Jalen Waddle, you got Tyreek Hill, you got Mike Jacecki at tight end. You got to pick your poison with this Miami Dolphins team. I think Jalen Waddle is a reliable number two option at receiver, and he can produce at a high level and have a breakout season for the Miami Dolphins. He could be a reliable target for Tua to throw the football to. Now, he came out of Alabama, and even in his rookie season, he was great last year. He had 104 receptions, 1,015 receiving yards, six touchdowns. So even in his rookie season, he had over 1,000 yards receiving. So Jalen Waddle. Similar to Tyreek Hill, he got that breakaway speed. He could take a five-yard slant and go the distance. He's the X factor in this division because if he can have a breakout season and take some pressure off Tyreek Hill, I think that could help the Miami Dolphins get into the playoffs. I really, really believe that. I think Jalen Waddle is going to be the X factor in this division. I think the Buffalo Bills are the favorites to win the AFC East. But if Jalen Waddle has a breakout season, and Tua has the best season so far in his career, the Miami Dolphins could contend in the AFC East and contend in the AFC. They could be real contenders in the AFC. We've been talking about all these other teams in the AFC, Bengals, Ravens, Chiefs, Raiders, Broncos, Chargers, and the Bills. We're going to have to include the Dolphins in that conversation if Jalen Waddle has a breakout season and if Tua has the best season of his career. Everybody go follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Be sure to follow Wise Guys. We're with these guys. No sports. Call to the show. 513-203-8655. 513-203-8655. Let's transition to the Wiser Last segment of the day. With Kevin Durant back in the fold, the Brooklyn Nets are looking to round out their roster. The Nets are in advanced discussions with veteran forward Markeith Morris, sources told NBA insider Mark Stein. So is it wise or last to say Morris will be a good fit in Brooklyn? I think that is wise that Markeith Morris will be a good fit in Brooklyn because I believe Markeith Morris, you know, he can produce off the bench, give you quality minutes. He can definitely help you 
defensively. He's an average defender. And then last year, I mean, he only averaged eight points per game on 47% shooting, but he can stretch the floor as well as a shooter. I don't think he's a, as good as a shooter as his brother, but he can also he can still shoot the rock. I think it would be wise to add him to the rotation in Brooklyn. The Seattle Seahawks, they have announced that Geno Smith will be the team's week one starter following a competition with Drew Locke. Pete Carroll said Geno Smith, quote, earned the job while Locke, quote, ran out of time to beat out the veteran after missing the second preseason game due to COVID-19. So is it wise or last to say the Seahawks made the right decision naming Geno Smith the starter? Uh, I believe that is lies. I don't really care about the Seattle Seahawks this year. They're going to be irrelevant in the NFC. They're going to be irrelevant in the NFC West. They lost Russell Wilson. They lost Bobby Wagner, two players who are the heart and soul of that Seattle Seahawks team. I don't really, really, really care what the Seattle Seahawks are going to do this year. I think you might want to put in Drew Locke just to see what he's got. I don't. I didn't like what I saw from him in Denver, but I damn sure don't believe Geno Smith is going to be the answer at quarterback for the Seahawks moving forward. So you might as well see what you can get out of Drew Locke. No point in starting Geno. We know what Geno is at this point in his career. Bradley Beal has experienced his share of disappointments with the Washington Wizards, but he remains fully committed to the organization. Bradley Beal, quote, he said, people always look at me like I'm crazy, but I have a huge desire to make it work here and win here. This is the team that drafted me. They're super loyal. I have a great relationship with ownership and a great relationship with our front office. Plus, there's a, not a lot of chances in the careers of NBA players to be notated as the franchise guy, you know, to be able to have that opportunity to be able to be in a position where I can write my own story. That's everything. So is it wiser lies to say Bill should feel confident about winning a title in Chocolate City. I think that is lies. Unless the Washington Wizards can somehow convince a star to come to Washington and play alongside Bradley Beal, he's not going to be competing for NBA championships. It's just not going to happen. Unless he, they can, he, unless Bradley Beal can recruit fellow NBA stars to come to Washington to play, it's not going to happen. So I think it's lies to say he should feel confident about winning the title in the Chocolate City. Bradley Beal should ha be happy that he got his money and he got paid because that's the only thing he's going to be celebrating for future seasons to come. Damn sure ain't going to be celebrating no championship. Aaron Donald was at the center of a massive fight between the L.A. Rams and the Cincinnati Bengals last Thursday. He was seen on video swinging two helmets. So is it wise or lies to say Aaron Donald should be suspended? I say that is lies. Aaron Donald should not be suspended. But he should be fine. He should be fine because you got to send a message that we would not allow helmets to be swung. That's not something that's going to result in anything positive. You got to send a message if you're in the NFL. We, we, you, you can't, you cannot have players swinging helmets. It's dangerous and, and it's not something that you want to see moving forward. So I think you got to send a message to Aaron Donald. He don't need to be suspended. Because also, the thing is, everyone's talking about Aaron Donald swinging these helmets. We don't know what was said to Aaron Donald before he got his hands on those two bingo helmets. We don't know what was said to Aaron Donald. So because of those unknown facts, we can't just automatically suspend Aaron Donald. I see a bunch of bingo fans out there talking about suspend Aaron Donald, suspend him for the season. You know, I'm, I'm saying it's ridiculous 
thing said by Bengal fans talking about suspending Aaron Donald. But I think that a lot of Bengal fans are still traumatized because Aaron Donald did ruin their one and only chance at being able to win a Super Bowl. So they want Aaron Donald gone for the season. But I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think the NFL should suspend Aaron Donald. I think he should be fine. And let's move forward. Got to send a message, but let's move forward. Everybody go follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys. It's going to these guys know sports. Let's get back to some NBA. As the Lakers, they acquired Patrick Beverly in a recent trade with the Utah Jazz. And Russell Westbrook's future is now uncertain after the Lakers acquired Patrick Beverly. And so LeBron James, he responded to a tweet. On Russell Westbrook. This is LeBron dis- discussing Russell Westbrook after the Patrick Beverly trade. He said the Westbrook disrespect and vitriol is still corny, regardless of how you feel about last season. Some people got to get a life, man. This was LeBron responding to criticism of Russell Westbrook in the immediate aftermath of the Lakers trading for Patrick Beverly. So, my initial reaction when I heard about the Lakers trading for Patrick Beverly was this confirms that the Lakers know they made a mistake letting Alex Caruso walk in free agency. If this confirms it, this is it because the Lakers they chose Horton Tucker over Alex Caruso, and Alex Caruso helped the Lakers win an NBA championship in the bubble. And that team that had Frank Vogel as their head coach. They had defensive players whose mindset was defense is our number one priority. They had KCP, Catavius Caldwell-Pope. They had Alex Caruso. They had Dwight Howard. So that team, number one priority was to play defense. And so the Lakers, they allowed Alex Caruso to walk in free agency. Them trading for Patrick Beverly confirms to me that they know they made a mistake allowing Alex Caruso to walk in free agency. Now, my next thing that I thought when they traded for Patrick Beverly was everyone's talking about how Russell Westbrook and Patrick Beverly is going to coexist as teammates. My first reaction had nothing to do with Russell Westbrook. It was the Lakers realizing that they had to bring in a Patrick Beverly who brings toughness, who brings a certain mindset, and is a tone setter in that Lakers locker room. That's what that that was my initial reaction. Like, okay, they're realizing that last year they were soft. They were soft last year. The LA Lakers were soft last year. And they were one of the worst defensive teams in the NBA last year. You bring in a Patrick Beverly, he checks multiple boxes on the defensive side of the floor. He checks toughness, he brings a, a certain mindset to the game, and he can get physical, and he's a tone setter. So I thought the Lakers, they realized what they lacked last year, and they brought in Patrick Beverly to help them defensively. Also, I believe Patrick Beverly will make an immediate impact on this Lakers team. Immediately. Patrick Beverly, being a pit bull, being a defensive specialist that he is, he has had to earn everything during his NBA journey. Everything, nothing was given to Patrick Beverly. He had to earn every single thing in his career. All these contracts, every time he got traded, he didn't want to go back to the D-League. He didn't want to go back to have to play overseas. He has earned every single thing 
during his time in the NBA. So you're going to get a Patrick Beverly who's going to be motivated, who's going to bring a mindset to your team that's going to help the Lakers if they become true contenders in the in the Western Conference. Because you you got to have a Draymond Green on your team. You notice all these teams who won championships, they got someone on their team who's a tone setter. For the Warriors, it's Draymond Green. In the 90s, it was Dennis Rodman for the Bulls. You have to have a tone setter, an enforcer, to be a true contender in the NBA. For the Knicks, it was Charles Oakley. You don't have to be the best player, but you got to be a tone setter, an enforcer, and that's what Patrick Beverly will be for the Lakers next season. Now, when it comes to whether or not they can coexist as teammates, talking about Russell Westbrook and Patrick Beverly, I don't believe that will be an issue, and here's why. Russell Westbrook knows he has to check his ego at the door when training camp starts this upcoming season. He doesn't have leverage like he once had earlier in his career. At one point in his career, Russell Westbrook was going to multiple All-Star games. He had won an NBA MVP. He had been to the playoffs multiple years in a row. He was the franchise player for the Oklahoma City Thunder even once Kevin Durant departed from OKC. But at this point in his career, Russell Westbrook doesn't have that leverage that he once had. And we've seen stars like Carmelo Anthony, Allen Iverson, have to sit out because they couldn't adapt to a new role. That's where Russell Westbrook is at at this point in his career. He has to adapt to a new role. You can't be the same Russell Westbrook that you were in Oklahoma City, Russ. You got to adapt to your new role. You can't just be a player who dominates the ball and who jacks up bad shots and turns the ball over. You're going to have to change up your game, move without the basketball, do other things to help your team win besides dominate the basketball, move around, set picks, play much more defense, improve defensively. You're going to have to do much more than just dominate the basketball if you want to still have a role on a championship contender. I expect Russell Westbrook to be more humble, because of where he's at currently in his career. So I expect Russell Westbrook and Patrick Beverly to have a conversation once training camp begins. And it was announced earlier today, Darvin Ham already came out and said that he's going to play Russell Westbrook and Patrick Beverly on the floor together, which I don't know if that's going to work, but I'll get to that here in a bit. I expect them to have a conversation at the beginning of training camp, hash out their differences like men and move forward. Now, when it comes to whether or not Patrick Beverly and Russell Westbrook can coexist on the floor, I don't believe Russell Westbrook and Patrick Beverly can coexist together on the floor. Now, contrary to what others believe, I believe off the floor, they can actually be good teammates and they can develop a relationship. But on the floor, I don't think that their games fit together because a player who isn't a good shooter doesn't fit with Patrick Beverly. Patrick Beverly needs to be alongside a shooter to be successful. Russell Westbrook and 
Patrick Beverly, neither are great shooters. I know for his career, Patrick Beverly has shot 38% from three-point range, but Patrick Beverly is not known as a three-point shooter. He's not known as a three-point shooter. So I don't know if Patrick Beverly and Russell Westbrook can coexist on the court together. And again, Darvin Ham just came out earlier today, and he said he's going to play Westbrook and Beverly on the court together. I don't know if it's going to work. And then late in games, Darvin Ham was going to have some tough decisions. Do you go with Westbrook's offense that doesn't blend well with LeBron, and you're not going to take LeBron off the floor? And Russell Westbrook was a turnover machine last year. Do you go with his offense that's been irrational and inconsistent? Or do you go with Patrick Beverly's defense who will help your team defensively get stops at the end of games? That's the question Ham is going to have to ask himself late in games. Are you going to roll with Russell Westbrook or are you going to roll with Patrick Beverly? Because Russell Westbrook's game doesn't blend well with LeBron James, I think he should roll with Patrick Beverly late in games. I think Patrick Beverly is a better fit for this Lakers team right now. Russell Westbrook is a better player than Patrick Bev. He's a better player than Patrick Beverly. But for this Lakers team, Patrick Beverly is a better fit than Russell Westbrook. Everybody going to follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore OH. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Let's transition back to some NFL. And let's talk about the Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers recently met with young receivers. And he was calling for more consistency. And earlier in the offseason, Devontae Adams was traded to the Las Vegas Raiders. And so it's a lot of young receivers on this Packers team right now. Aaron Rodgers did not participate in any preseason action. None. Didn't, didn't participate in any preseason action. Now, I want to talk about some comments that Devontae Adams did have on Aaron Rodgers. He said he's the best quarterback to play this game. This was Devontae Adams on the Pivot Podcast. And here is Sammy Watkins. He said Aaron Rodgers is on a whole different level. These two quotes by Devontae Adams and Sammy Watkins is what's going to lead me to what I'm about to discuss in this topic. I'm listening to reporters, NFL aficionados, NFL beat writers for the Packers. I'm listening to people talk about how Aaron Rodgers didn't participate in any preseason action. That's going to be an issue for Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers at the beginning of the season. Let me remind y'all who the hell Aaron Rodgers is. Aaron Rodgers is a four-time NFL MVP. He's a four-time first-team All-Pro player, 10-time Pro Bowl quarterback, Super Bowl MVP, four-time NFL passer rating leader, and two-time NFL passing touchdowns leader. For his career, this is Aaron Rodgers, he got 449 touchdowns, 93 interceptions. That's a 5-to-1 touchdown-interception ratio. He got 55,360 passing yards. He's completed 65% of his passes. Aaron Rodgers doesn't need any damn preseason action. And as a Packers fan, I don't want Aaron Rodgers participating in preseason. I don't want to risk losing 
Aaron Rodgers in a meaningless preseason game if he gets injured? I saw the other day TJ Watt got injured in the Steelers preseason finale. And I know Steeler fans, when they got the notification about TJ Watt's injury, I know they nearly had a heart attack. I know they nearly had a heart attack. I don't want Aaron Rodgers participating in meaningless preseason games. Aaron Rodgers is one of the greatest quarterbacks in NFL history. Aaron Rodgers is still the best quarterback right now in the NFL. He doesn't need any preseason snaps. He's going to be fine. Not to mention, the Packers defense is going to be a top five defense in the NFL this year. They got one of the best secondaries in the NFL, led by Jair Alexander, a top five cornerback in the NFL. They re-signed Rasul Douglas. They still got Eric Stokes. And then linebackers, they got Devondre Campbell. You got Chris Barnes as well. They brought in Quay Walker from Georgia, who I think is going to be a great player on this defense. And up front, you still got Kenny Clark, got Devontae Wyatt out of Georgia as well. So they got one of the best defenses in the NFL, led by defensive coordinator Joe Barry. The Packers receivers, the young receivers, Romeo Dobbs, Christian Watson, Amari Rodgers, they are getting reps in practice against the elite Packers defense every single day. So they're going up against an elite defense every single day in practice. You don't need Aaron Rodgers out there risking an injury that could just derail and mess up the entire season. It's not worth it. It is not worth it. I'm okay with Aaron Rodgers sitting out the entire preseason and waiting until week one to develop in-game action chemistry with his young receivers. It's worth it. It is worth it. So, miss me with this. Aaron Rodgers didn't participate in preseason. It's going to affect him this season with his young receivers. Stop it. The man had 37 touchdowns, four interceptions last year. He was sensational last year in the regular season as well. Year before that, he had 48 touchdowns, five interceptions. Back-to-back NFL MVP awards. Aaron Rodgers will be just fine. Will be just fine. Now, when I talk about which receiver is going to step up in that Packers offense for Aaron Rodgers to be a reliable target, I think it's going to be Romeo Dobbs. I, I, I think it's going to be Romeo Dobbs. I like what I see from Romeo Dobbs, like, so far. Like, And this is with him playing with Jordan Love. If he's doing well with Jordan Love, imagine what he could be with Aaron Rodgers once he develops chemistry with Aaron Rodgers and he knows where to be on the field at key moments in key games. You give Romeo Dobbs more reps, Romeo Dobbs can develop a relationship like Aaron Rodgers had with Jordy Nelson, with Randall Cobb, with Devontae Adams. He can develop that type of relationship. We've been talking about Christian Watson from North Dakota State. Maybe Romeo Dobbs is a receiver that could step up and be a reliable target for Aaron Rodgers in that offense. Aaron Rodgers already said he believes Alan Lazard could be a true number one. I got my questions about that. I don't know about that. I disagree with Aaron. But it's Aaron Rodgers. Aaron believes he can make anyone a true number one receiver. I mean, it took a while for Devontae Adams 
to elevate his game. The first few years of Devontae Adams' career, he, he wasn't a true number one receiver. It took Devontae Adams some time to elevate his game and progress into being a number one receiver. So we're going to see what Alan Lazard has. I mean, for his career, Alan Lazard, he got 109 receptions, 1,448 receiving yards, 14 touchdowns. But this is all with Devontae Adams in the mix. So now Alan Lazard is going to get more targets and more opportunities to prove that he can be a number one receiver in an offense. We'll see if he can take advantage of it. Everybody going to follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore which also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. Remember, you can catch the Wise Guys Sports Show on the Worldwide Sports Network every Tuesday, Thursday, 7 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. That's every Tuesday, Thursday, 7 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. You can always call into the show, 513-203-8655, 513-203-8655. Today, we talked about the AFC East and who's the favorites. I think the Buffalo Bills will win the AFC East. On Thursday's show, I will preview another division in the NFL and give my predictions for that particular division. Last week, we talked about the NFC South, and I had the Tampa Bay Buccaneers winning the NFC South. Today was AFC West. I got the Buffalo Bills. I'm trying to go from the worst divisions in the NFL to the best. So obviously, the last division would be the AFC West because that division is stacked. The Chiefs, Broncos, Raiders, Chargers, all four of those teams could easily win that division. In the, in the AFC North, it's going to be tough because the Bengals and Ravens are two quality teams who could win the AFC North. In the South, I think the Colts are the favorites, but you never know. Derrick Henry could have a monster season this year, and the Tennessee Titans could compete in the AFC South. You flip to the NFC, NFC North. I think the Packers are the favorites, but you still got the Minnesota Vikings who are trying to prove that they are worthy of being in that conversation for top teams in the NFC. They got Kirk Cousins, a good quarterback. You still got Adam Thielen. You still got Justin Jefferson. You still got Dalvin Cook at running back. NFC East, I like the Philadelphia Eagles. Cowboys don't even get me started with them. All those penalties that they got going on down there in Dallas with Mike McCarthy as their head coach. And in the NFC West, you, you, you got the 49ers. You got the Cardinals. You got the Rams. Seahawks will be irrelevant. So... Probably, I don't know, I'm trying to think who I roll with next. Probably go with the NFC East. It'll either be the NFC East or the AFC South on Thursday's show. Because each show leading up to week one, I'm going to preview a particular division each show. So everybody enjoy your Tuesday night. It's Taco Tuesday. And I know I was talking about my Packers. So before I sign off, go ahead and put my cheese head on. Got to represent. Y'all know it for sure. I'm Trey Larkin signing off the Wise Guy Sports Show on the World Wide Sports Network. Everybody enjoy your night. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.